The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Okay, you guys, it's called the silent killer, and there's growing concern among doctors that soaring rates of a common but often undetected liver disease could impose huge burdens on health care in this country over the next decade. You may have heard of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's believed about a quarter of Canadians over the age of 20 have it. Most people just live with it, but for others, it can become much more, even leading to cancer. Dr. Mark Swain is a University of Calgary liver specialist who led a study into this, which was just published in the online journal CMAJ Open. Dr. Swain joins us this afternoon. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Can you tell us, can you explain what this is? I have heard about uh, fatty liver disease in the past, um, and I, I guess I just kind of thought what it sounds like is what it is, but maybe you can uh, outline a little bit more the details of, of what is it and what causes it, Dr. Swain? Uh, well, I, I think your, your, how you, what you felt before was actually quite accurate. For, for okay. I think for most people, it is just fat in the liver, like fat anywhere else, and it comes and goes when people lose or gain weight. And, and really, it's so being overweight and being a diabetic are the two main drivers of having fat in the liver. And so obviously, as our, as our, our population gets larger, we're more prone to be having diabetes or more prone to having fatty liver. And so uh, the problem is that a proportion of those people that have fatty liver, for some reason, their their immune systems don't like the fat there and they start to damage their liver cells. And, and as, trying, as they try to repair that damage, they actually end up getting scarring in the liver. And as that scarring progresses, that can lead to cirrhosis, despite the fact that they don't drink alcohol at all or drink small amounts. So is there a difference then between, uh, well, between, is there such a thing as alcoholic fatty liver disease then? There is, exactly. So, uh, in fact, it, uh, the only way you can differentiate them really is uh, is by history. So someone who drinks a significant amount of alcohol, uh, they, can, they'll, they can develop, they almost universally will develop fatty liver, and then a proportion of those mm. will progress on to cirrhosis. In non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, they, they get the same sort of changes in the liver if you do a liver biopsy, it actually looks identical, and they can progress on to develop cirrhosis the same way, despite the fact of not having that alcohol hmm. exposure. When we talk about cirrhosis, that is, is that scarring of yeah, the liver? So, so essentially what cirrhosis is, 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 uh, um, is, is when you, so the liver, if it can't keep up with damage, it heals itself by scarring just the same way as if you get a small cut on your arm it goes away mm-hmm. and you don't see it but if it's a bigger cut it actually gets healed by scar tissue and that's why you end up with scars essentially and the liver does the same thing and so uh, a little bit of scarring is a little bit and then it gets more and more and more and what cirrhosis is is just extensive scarring in the liver so that the liver starts to lose its normal sort of anatomical or, or structure that, uh, when, when you would look at it under a microscope it gets lumpy bumpy or nodular Mm, okay, and obviously then is not working properly. <laughs> yeah, well, as that progresses, then you start to get liver failure, and in mm. fact, you know, usually this is this this disorder uh, has no symptoms, and so it's not often until uh, people develop cirrhosis or liver they're starting to develop liver failure when they start to get symptoms, and so this is why it's really been called the silent killer, I think. Yeah, interesting, Dr. Swain. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, how 
have doctors treated this uh, or they just kind of let it go because it's just there and it doesn't seem to be causing any great impact on on someone's life maybe at the beginning of it all or we don't know about it yeah well i think originally the feeling was it was benign and i remember saying this years ago and and uh you know what the feeling was it was just like fat you know that that one might get say in their arm or whatever if they gained weight and if they lost the weight it would just go away and it never doesn't really damage the muscle in the arm or anything like that and so that was sort of the same feeling uh and because it was so prevalent uh you know 25 percent of adults it's a lot of people and so mm-hmm. i think people had a tendency to ignore it also because the feeling was that we didn't we, we, well, we didn't have good mechanisms to see if people had uh liver scarring and uh and now we know about two to three percent of of uh of the population will actually develop this scarring and this progressive form of fatty liver disease so huh. unfortunately we we created a, a feeling of, of of where we didn't have to worry about it but i think now we're realizing well there are some people that we do need to worry about it. and when you look at two to three percent of the population that's a that's a significant number of people so you and uh, and some other researchers use these trends in obesity rates to forecast the prevalence of fatty liver disease in the Canadian population between 2019 and 2030. And again, yep. you're saying it's on track for a significant rise. And um, you're waving the flag on this uh, for a number of reasons, aren't you? Yes. Well, I, I mean, just the, just looking at the the fatty liver disease itself, there's we uh, we predict that it'll be about a 20% increase uh, over that decade. So that's 7.5 million adults in Canada to 9.3 million. Uh, mm-hmm. And then with, associated with that, you'll about a third uh, or 30, 35% increase in the number of people with advanced liver disease like cirrhosis, an 80% increase in the numbers of liver cancers, which form in people that typically have cirrhosis. And then the number of, of, of fatty liver related deaths are going to double over that decade. Okay, and so as a result of that, um, that's going to put um, an increased strain on the health system, isn't it? Completely. Uh, so, uh, I mean, e- even now there's there's a growing recognition that 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 uh, uh, liver disease that's related to fatty liver disease is causing more and more utilization of the healthcare system. The mm-hmm. fatty liver disease is rapidly becoming the number one reason for liver transplantation in North America, and uh, and also all of the health costs that come along not only with fatty liver disease itself, so the liver part, but when people mm-hmm. have fatty liver disease, what it tells us is that they're their, their sort of internal metabolism is, is a bit deranged and really related to lifestyle choices. And, uh, and essentially, with, uh, when someone has fatty liver disease, they actually have a very high chance of dying of, of heart attacks or strokes as well. And so it's, a, it's kind of a wake-up call that that change in their body's metabolism doesn't only predispose them to getting a, you know, liver disease and cirrhosis potentially, but it actually increases their risk of having stroke and heart attack. And I think it's, a, it's an opportunity to take that and, and, and try to make a lifestyle cho- uh, a different lifestyle choices uh, to try to uh, improve it.
Okay, so let's talk about those lifestyle choices. What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? I guess is more important there, Dr. Swain. Well, well I mean, the, pro- the problem with fatty liver disease and why it's increasing in, in, uh, in prevalence, it really goes along with the obesity epidemic and really goes along yeah. with our access to, to sort of uh, cheaper uh, foods that we like. And, and the foods that we like are fast foods. We, you know, we love uh, carbohydrate-heavy uh, uh, things like potato chips or, or, mm. uh, or snack foods that we would offer and reach for in the cupboard are often ones that are uh, the least healthy. That's why I think why we like them so much. Uh, also, fat, uh, foods that have uh, uh, unhealthy fats in them and, and the growing uh, uh, um, uh, consumption of uh, fructose, uh, which is a very sweet uh, sugar-containing uh, beverages like soft drinks. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why they're trying to get them out of schools is because they, 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 we don't metabolize them well and they actually cause us mm-hmm. to, to, to build up fat in our liver. All right. So this is more than just having access. There's so many layers to that. Having access to healthy food, that opens up, you know, that's like an onion. You're just peeling back the layers on that depending on on, uh, economics, depending on where you live, depending on on so many different things, does it? Yeah, there's there's a lot there. That's an extremely good point. And I think the problem, of course, is that uh, as one looks at different socioeconomic classes, of course, as one has more food and people will start to make healthier choices because they have resource to purchase those often uh, whereas if, if you have less financial resources then you often turn to the things that you can afford which are often you know filling and, and still nutritious but un- unfortunately often are very carbohydrate like pastas and rice mm-hmm. and things like that that are fill people up but, uh, but uh, <laughs> too much of those are, are unhealthy of course. Mm, all the things that you crave, all the all the good things, <laughs> the, the text, good good bad things, right? And I and thank you for helping me reevaluate my food intake this afternoon, Doctor Swain. Uh, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> for all of us, but, right? That's I mean that yeah. is the issue. I mean the things we're tempted to eat so much, and especially snacking between meals, are usually the things that are 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 are, are, are often unhealthy because we often don't necessarily make our the best choices between meals and even at our meals actually. Mark Swain, a professor of the Department of Medicine, acting head, Division of Gastroenterology, Immunology, and, oh, I can't even say that next one, at the University of Calgary, joining me this afternoon. He's a University of Calgary liver specialist. Uh, Dr. Swain, uh, I think you must have a a gigantic business card with all of that on there. (laughs) Yeah, it runs right off the end. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about uh, fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. A number of people are texting in and saying, okay, well, you mentioned that oftentimes the symptoms don't show up until much later, until it's progressed. Yep. You know, is there are there things that we should be looking for? I read, you know, some about a sore side, um, and and I I think that you know ultrasounds and things like that can can spot a, a fatty liver, but unless you're mm-hmm. going in for something else, yeah, I don't think doctors are going to order. <laughs> there's going to be a run on ultrasounds for livers for fatty liver. I mean, we can't do that either. So, um, is that 
you know, that, 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 that swollen feeling, is that a, a part of the issue or a part of the symptoms? Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, well, first of all, there's a, there's a, I think probably the most important thing is awareness that this is a risk. And, and so okay. as people get uh, more awareness, I think then we'll have better ways of approaching, which I can talk about I- I- in a sec. But, but the, uh, the, um, uh, the liver itself actually, which is up in the right side at the upper, just under the ribs on the right side uh, of your abdomen, mm-hmm. it, it basically, it doesn't have any feeling in it itself, but it has this sort of sac that surrounds it, a very thin sac that's full of nerves. And so as mm. the liver gets swollen with, uh, with fat in it, it actually stretches that capsule and stretches those nerves. And that's why people can get this dull, aching kind of pain. It's not usually like a knife. It's more like an aching pain. And they often mm. feel it more if there's a pressure there, if they're, say, bouncing in a car or something like that. And, mm. and, uh, and, and that's often actually what, what can bring them to, uh, to hospital if they have a symptom or bring them to their doctor not to hospitals. So at, at that point, what kind of treatment is there for it? Well, I, I mean, uh, uh, lifestyle modification is really the cornerstone. That's the main thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and so if you're a diabetic, controlling your diabetes as well as you can. If you have high cholesterol, controlling that, which will also, of course, help uh, with regards to uh, cardiovascular risk. Uh, mm. and, uh, and and weight loss, which, of course, is challenging, but that is a, a very important uh, facet. And often it's a matter of just changing the diet, uh, you know, removing some of the carbohydrates getting uh, you know sometimes people drink large amounts of pop and uh, and even though there's uh, I know there's a lot of pushback about drinking uh, uh, diet pops and whatnot it's actually more it's healthier from a liver perspective to drink uh, a diet pop than it would be to drink a, a sugar pop which which is mm. sweetened with fructose actually you know, I read about things like liver cleanses and taking milk thistle for uh, a healthy livers. Do those do anything? Do you, would you recommend that at all? No. Uh, well, no. milk thistle, I, I think the jury's out. I've never really gone through a rigorous okay. thing. I don't think there's any downside to taking milk thistle except okay. the cost, and some people find it upsets yeah. their stomach a bit. So I, uh, I think if people want to take it, I think that's totally fine. I think the, the, the liver cleanses, uh, what, they, what they sort of are, are relying on are people feeling the, the concept that the liver is like a filter and that mm-hmm. it does do that but actually the the liver is really a biological machine and so uh, the concept of, of, of sort of cleansing it with, with anything that you're going to drink or eat or whatever it, 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 it doesn't hold water I mean it, it basically yeah. it just keeps functioning and functioning it's not a filter that you're trying to clean out actually and there's no liver cleanser that's going to do anything from a beneficial point of view to your liver you know, um, just on a, just got in the same topic area, but just over here a little bit more. When it comes to cancers of the liver, when it comes to liver cancer, why is it that that seems to be have such a high fatality rate? Is it because that oftentimes it's diagnosed quite late? Yeah, I mean, that, uh, exactly. I mean, so yeah. just like liver disease is silent, so people, I mean, one of the biggest things I often hear when I see people in the clinic that have fatty liver disease is that, you know, I can't believe I have cirrhosis. I can't believe it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so often what happens is people come in and they present with cancer as how they present because yeah. usually cancer is, is, uh, has no symptoms until it's quite advanced. And then when it's yeah. advanced, we have uh, limited options to treat it. Although when we find them early nowadays, we 
we it used to be almost universally fatal, but now now uh, uh, we, we have a number of ways that we can treat cancers if we find them early. So the whole thing is suspicion, suspicion that someone has cirrhosis, which is really the the risk factor for cancer, and then yeah. and then then screening them at regular intervals. So yeah. if they were to develop a cancer, we find it when it's small, and then we can cure it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Oftentimes, I hear you know if someone is you know is pancreatic or, or liver cancer, like oh that's that's not good at yeah, not uh, good, at, yeah. <laughs> at all. And we saw that in in you know in, in um, uh, um, with uh, s- someone in, in our family recently, and it was very quick. It was very very quick, and it was really staggering at how quick it was. Yep. Um, but yeah. So anyway, you've given us so much to think about today, Dr. Swain, and I thank you for that. But again, in in a nutshell, it comes down to <laughs> you know, maybe making some healthier food choices, maybe getting a little bit of exercise, you know, yep. making some of these small changes. But for a lot of people, they're, they're difficult changes, but could go, again, a long way to, to help curve some more severe outcomes of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease down the road. Yeah, and, and uh, exactly. And don't give up. Keep trying. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the key is, is, is eventually, uh, if people keep trying, I think they can often make less uh, uh, changes. It's just a matter of persevere and don't give up. Dr. Swain, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care. Take care. Dr. Mark Swain joining us this afternoon, uh, a University of Calgary liver specialist. Haas texted in and said, Jay, hey, sooner or later, we're all going to die. I'd prefer to do that, having enjoyed the life I had to live. Um, yeah. And uh, a number of you texting yeah, in on, on this one. But yeah, it's... Um, I was told years ago that I was starting to have um, start of a fatty of a fatty liver, and I never really thought about it until this study came out. And now I'm like, Ugh. Uh, having said that, you know, we continue to try to get healthier. We continue to try to eat better. Maybe do a little bit of exercise, cut back on the fast food, and maybe a bit of the drink. Uh, all things to keep in mind as as we move forward and try to navigate. Uh, I guess. <laughs> the last, uh, well, the coming decades of our lives.